This is Disaster Tales. Welcome to Disaster Tales. This episode marks our second year broadcasting this podcast. So we want to say thank you to all of you that have been listening to us. We really appreciate it, and we're glad that you're interested in the subject. For the next year, please let us know what you'd like to hear. If you've had any experiences yourself, we'd love to hear about them too. You can contact us at kate at disastertales.com or barb at disastertales.com, and we'll see if we can put your ideas to work. Thanks again for all your support. We really appreciate it. So on September 24th of 2019, Puerto Rico experienced a magnitude 6.0 earthquake along the Caribbean Puerto Rico tectonic plates off the southwestern shore of the island. Now let me just do a little explanation of our terminology here. A tectonic plate theory is the theory that the Earth's outer shell is divided into several plates that glide over the mantle of the earth, the rocky inner layer above the core. So you have the core, then you have this layer that slides back and forth over the top of it. These plates move on average of of about one to two inches per year. And then um, a fault line, which we'll also be talking about, is the line in a rock surface uh, or the ground that traces a geological fault line, which a fault line is an area where there's a fault or a break in the crust. And so um, those tend to be a lot more uh, sensitive to movement because there's already an opening or a defect there. Mm -hmm. Um, The island of Puerto Rico has a very unfortunate distinction of three different tectonic plates, uh, the North American, the Caribbean, and the smaller Puerto Rico micro-tectonic plate. So they have all these little plates that are moving in and around the island. There are several fault lines that cross the island, including the Punta Matalva, the Ponce, and the Bajo Tasmanian Fault. So this makes the island much more susceptible to earthquake movement and activity because of where it's positioned. And in addition to that, the North American plate is positioned on the northeast side of the island, is subducting or sliding underneath the the island on that northeastern side. And so it's causing the island to pop up. And then on the southwestern side where these quakes occurred, this swarm of quakes has occurred, uh, is is sinking and dropping down into the into the ocean more. So the pressure on the landmass of those shifting adjacent plates is what causes these earthquakes and the number of them because there's that movement is constant. So at this point, they're in kind of a, the middle of a cycle of movement that is really shaking up the island. So it's bad. basically Puerto Rico has a target on its back. Essentially. Because not only, yep. not only is it in that little triangle of fault lines, it's also in the path of a lot of major hurricanes. Which they just recently had... Isaiah passed through and flooded a large portion and caused landslides in the uh, the island area near Guanica, which is where the, the major epicenter of the quakes was. So they've had like insult to injury <laughs> with the yeah. addition then, of the hurricanes. Speak, 
And then, you know, Hurricane Maria and Hurricane Irma hit, and they had thousands of deaths there um, because of that. Right. So, yeah, so they do. They kind of got a target. on. It's a beautiful place. I've actually been there. And it's it's this, it's got, like, white sand, and it's really nice temperate, cli- you know, kind of climate. And uh, people are really nice folks. But they just, they they have... They have problems with a, a lot of disasters. Yeah. So to this point, uh, as of yesterday, there have been 1,280 measurable earthquakes in Puerto Rico since December 28th of 2019. Nice. 123 of those quakes were magnitude 3.0 or higher, which is a one that can be felt. Below that, you really don't have a lot of, of actual you can't really feel them, but there have been, you know, measurably more of them than people could actually feel. Twelve of those quakes have been in the 4.5 or higher range, and then a 6.9 hit in January of 2020, and they've had a few larger quakes. The most recent, as of yesterday, um, was a 3.0 in Guanica which is where the main epicenter of the quakes, it's just offshore from there. So they've had the most damage and the most um, devastation in that Guanica, Ponce area. Um, Mm -hmm. The loss of life, thankfully, has not been very large. There was uh, one man who was killed when the roof of his home uh, caved in. And then there were an additional three people who perished from medical events related to the stress and the hardship of being displaced, like a heart attacks or um, chronic illness, and people succumb to that. And on top of that all, um, nine people were injured in the January 7th, the 6.9 quake. But then they're also dealing with COVID-19 at this point. So you're dealing with trying to mass house people and, you know, disaster relief with people who are, you know, having to remain socially distant and masks. And it's just... I mean, the stress right. level must be through the roof for these poor people. I, I would imagine. I'm looking at the modified Mercalli scale, which which is the description of damage of an earthquake. So a, a four-point earthquake is felt indoors by many, outdoors by few during the day. It'll wake people up at night, and it'll have dishes, windows, doors disturbed, walls will make cracking sounds sensation like a heavy truck striking a building standing motor cars rock noticeably so that's a 4.0 or and mm-hmm. then it goes up from there whatever the the percentage the point whatever it is and then you said the a 6. Point, a 6.0 correct 6.9 well there was a 6.0 in September of 2019 but on January 7th there was a 6.9 Okay, so the Which the description of a six point yeah the description of a six point nine is felt by all many frightened some heavy furniture moved a few instances of fallen plaster damage slight of course the damage slight depends on the construction of the of the building right which I think a lot of the the homes in that area probably are old, older housing stock with um, you know maybe substandard construction because it's an island mm-hmm. community. But people would seemingly have to, you know, build for hurricanes. Um, 
but then if you don't have the money, which the whole country of Puerto Rico is completely bankrupt, so there may not be mm -hmm. the funds available to do the kind of building that would be safe for people to occupy during disasters. $110 million, um in damage. More than 8,300 homes have sustained some form of damage. 500 have been destroyed or declared uninhabitable. There are several power plants and government facilities, schools and churches that were damaged, and the power had been out. They were having trouble restoring power from the storms that they had mm -hmm. back in 2017, and they um, actually had sustained so much damage to the power plant that they've decided it needs to be rebuilt instead of repaired because it's beyond mm -hmm. the point of, of being repaired. It's really horrible that that kind of a loss of, of infrastructure and homes and things came right on the heels of the, the disasters of Irma and, and Maria in 2017, October of 2017. They've had mm -hmm. very little time to recover. A lot of people still had tarps. A lot of people still living in temporary housing. The hardest hit areas of Ponce, Guanila, and Guanica have thousands of homeless people and they're frightened and they don't want to go back into their homes, a lot of them, because they're afraid that another earthquake will hit and their house will collapse. So they're living in their cars or in tents or makeshift shelters. Yeah, there was actually, they so. actually had a place where people could, in, I think it was outside of Ponce, people could go in and sleep in their cars in an area where somebody could keep watch. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a pretty good plan. Right. You know, I just, the mental health toll that it's had on the people has just been devastating. You know, the stress, PTSD type stuff where people are afraid to go inside their buildings and um, mm -hmm. they're afraid they're afraid to live in them because they're afraid that the big one's going to hit and it's going to collapse. They actually had yeah. a day during that this whole process where the suicide hotline received 1,600 calls in one day. So people are wow. desperate. You know, they're trying to recover from mm -hmm. disaster after disaster after disaster. And then they were hit by that additional hurricane just this last week. So, mm -hmm. you know, the it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know how they're coping with the stress <laughs> of it. Plus COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus Zika. They have an endemic. They have endemic Zika virus there too, which causes birth defects, and it can be it can mm -hmm. cause birth defects even if the males are bitten and and get the virus. So, that's another big stressor for the people there. I know that they had to evacuate the hospital to move patients out because part of the hospital collapsed uh, in one of mm -hmm. the towns, and so they had patients in beds out in the in the streets, you know. Which, yep. you know, just the, the desperate situation and having potable water and having safe accommodations, you know, it's all just a part well, of that and whole some process. Of that, yeah, as far as the water goes, um, like, like I said, they were having a drought there in 2014. Um, basically, a lot of it was because of lack of maintenance of the infrastructure. So, like, half the water supply was lost during distribution through, I guess, through leaks and things like that. Um, 2.5 million people were affected. They they shut off the water supply for 48 hours at a time for rationing. 
and it affected their crops. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture started to provide emergency loans to certain municipalities, uh, like in the Cahuas Valley. They had entirely lost their harvests, and major tourist areas were exempt from the water rationing and continued to function normally. So that they made sure that the folks that are coming to visit and spend their money had enough water and everybody else was going without. Another issue that they had was with the power system. When there's a disaster, the lines go down and or, or the or the plant goes down and, and everybody's without power. And one of the things that's happening is there's a nonprofit organization that is going through Puerto Rico and providing um, solar power plants at fire stations so that if they have another situation like Maria where there's no power, there's a place where they can go where there's light and there's and there's refrigeration for their medication and food. And, you know, they can use their CPAP machines or whatever it is that they need to do, recharge their phones. So um, really the, the electrical system there needs to be uh, decentralized because having just one source of electricity isn't working especially with the number of disasters that Puerto Rico gets so we're I'm this nonprofit and and actually they talked about this um, in a book Naomi Klein wrote the battle for paradise and she talked about that as well that after Hurricane Maria they had one town that had a, its community center fitted out for solar power and everybody in the community came there because they saw the light in the darkness, literally saw the light from where they were and went to it. And, uh -huh. and then they had the same things where they could refrigerate their insulin and, you know, charge their phones and everything else. So decentralizing the power plant, the power system in Puerto Rico, I think would be a really good, a really good thing because then, you know, earthquake damage in one place, you, you, you'd still have you'd still have uh, that available somewhere close by. Right. The, the, the biggest issue, though, I think at this point, is that there's no money available. They're bankrupt. The, you know, the system is, is to the point where it can't do any kind of modifications or improvements because it just doesn't have the money, the revenue. Right. Um, and now, that you know, they did get help because there is a, a protectorate of the United States, they did get a, a FEMA disaster declaration, so that mm -hmm. you know gave them some help, some relief, a little. By January 14th, the government had housed FEMA, and the government had housed 3,200 displaced persons. There was a provision made to uh, house another 1,000 people in hotels, but only 150 pe 157 people applied for that assistance, presumably because they didn't want to be away from their main residents for fear of maybe looting or, you know, wanting to keep an eye on things. So, mm -hmm. unfortunately, the people were afraid to take it. As of February 25th, 3,000 were placed in emergent housing. Some of the housing is 12 by 12 plywood structures, which are good temporary housing. 600 were living mm -hmm. in their vehicles, and an additional 1,063 were living in tents. A cash payment yep. of $500 in assistance had been issued to the displaced persons. Um, mm -hmm. But then again, you you had the people in those in that housing situation from the, the late winter into the spring when hurricane season started, 
and then a 12 by 12 plywood structure is not going to be adequate housing for someone in a hurricane situation. So then they oh, they yeah. needed more permanent housing. The problem being there there's not enough it's the earthquakes haven't stopped long enough for them to really establish permanent housing because they don't know, you know, what's going to happen next. So Mhm. Well, kind of first of all, I can tell you about too. that. I can tell you about that um hotel program. Um what happens is that people are put on a list and the and then hotels are contracted to to take people from that list. And so what happens is somebody comes in and says, well, first of all, FEMA calls them and says, you've been approved to do hotels. Here's the list of hotels. Go and you can go and check in any one of those that has a vacancy. When they get to the hotel, the hotel owner has to look up the name on the list. And if it's not if it hasn't gotten there yet or if there's if it's misspelled or anything else that could cause a, an issue with them getting their hotel room and then um a lot of times some of these hotels since tourism is so big may not be may not be taking applicants because they don't have vacancies um it's a mm -hmm. it's an interesting program and it works out pretty well the problem comes when their time has run out there and they still haven't acquired safe housing that they, we can't, FEMA doesn't pay for that anymore. And so they end up getting kicked out of the hotel. And, and there's always problems with the hotels and billing and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a monster program. It works, but it's, there's a lot of issues with it. So that may be some of the reasons why there's not as many people taking those the other thing is if they're afraid to stay inside then staying in a hotel is not going to be any mm -hmm. any better you know yeah um, and i wonder if maybe I they expect, found interim housing or temporary housing with family or, or relatives or things like that too well after the recent two years of onslaught of uh disasters there is a very there's a very limited amount of housing there because there's been devastating earthquakes, devastating hurricanes, and and it's very expensive to get materials to the island to build new structures or to make repairs even. And mm -hmm. I know during Hurricane Maria, they sent they spent hundreds of people to the mainland for shelter, and those they and they never brought them back because while they were gone, there was nobody fixing their house. And um, so that was that's that's another problem that they have that there's so many there's so much housing that's been destroyed it's difficult to find something that's still standing. Right. And people who are displaced like that, you know, it, it it's got to be terribly disheartening. Not only have they lost everything that they own, but now they've lost their residence and their ability to have a, a safe place to live and to be around their family and their community. And so that has to really add to the stress level of these people, you know, and their feelings of, you know, being abandoned, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. One of the other problems that we 
find when we go to like the hurricanes and even these, I'm sure it's probably happening in this too. There's um, when the people are sent to the mainland and they're not given money to return, then they're subject to um, investors offering them, offering to purchase their land um, at, at just dirt cheap rates, you know, um, mm -hmm. nothing like what they should get for it, but they need the cash so bad because they're, instead of being in Puerto Rico, they're in Boston or they're in Miami or they're, you know, in Charlotte. Uh, they have to find a new job. They have to find new housing and, and they need the cash. So, you know, something that would go for a million dollars, they could probably pick up for a quarter. That's just criminal. It should be prosecuted as criminal as well because that's taking advantage of people in a place where they're very vulnerable and that's not right. Well, there's there's nothing legally wrong with that, with people offering money for land. There, I mean, there's nothing illegal right. about that. But, the, but they're taking... It happens in disasters. It's called disaster capitalism. And... And people will rush in to take advantage of things like that. And for them, it's like, a, I made a good investment. But for the other people, it's like, I lost everything, and now what about I lost it? everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So now we have, like, yeah, cryptocurrency I... executives that are, that are snapping up properties in Puerto Rico. And there's a tax shelter there. So they go there and spend... I think they have to spend four months there, and then they get a tax shelter, and then they can come back to the mainland. So it's a, oh. it's a, Puerto Rico is a mess. They have had a lot of laws forced on them that have caused them problems. One of them was, let me find it, the Jones Act. Um, all goods ferried between U.S. ports will be carried on ships built, owned, and operated by U.S. citizens. Of course, that costs a lot more than foreign ships, and the U.S. ships know that they have Puerto Rico by the nose. Cornered the market. And, uh, right, yes. and so they, they can raise their prices as much as they want, and, and they have to use it. So that being forced on them was a problem. Then they had a constitutional Reminds me of the right amendment. act in, in Texas. <laughs> yeah, it is. Everything has uh, to go through Dallas. <laughs> everything has to go through Dallas-Fort Worth. That's right. Um, yeah. They loosened they loosen the reins on debt capacity as well in 1952 and 1961 and encouraged Puerto uh -huh. Rico to fund fiscal shortfalls through issuance of tri... Hmm, I'll read that again. <laughs> they encouraged Puerto Rico to fund uh -huh. fiscal shortfalls through the issu issuance of triple exempt municipal bonds. And they issued all these bonds. Wow. And people bought them up and then, you know, and then they ended up and weren't able to repay them. So, the, and then... Then there was uh, then there was an insolvency, and then there was a and and unlike other municipalities, Puerto Rico can't declare bankruptcy. You know, if, if Texas oh, really? ran out of money, they could declare bankruptcy, but Puerto Rico can't. But just before Obama left office, he put an oversight committee in there that was helping them through a bankruptcy type process. So you know that mm -hmm. it's it's there is a there is corruption 
in Puerto Rico. They've had a problem with that. Um, the mayor of San Juan has become a real leader because she's she's rooting it out and, and saying things that the president doesn't like to hear. He's called probably called her a nasty woman. He's uh-huh. called her something. And uh, and so they've they've had a lot of fiscal problems that were not entirely their own fault. And they're still having it. Mm-hmm. Now, their position as a protectorate does not afford them the same type of privileges that a state would have. And so Correct. I'm sure that a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're not really a sovereign nation, but they are mm-hmm. a protectorate of a sovereign nation. So they would have to abide well, by the U.S. law. Right. They're, they're basically a state without state status. Because people there mm-hmm. that are that are born there have, have are Americans. They have American passports, uh, unlike some of our protectorates, like in Palau, they have to have they have a Palau passport. But Puerto Ricans get mm-hmm. a an American passport, and and they so they aren't allowed to vote in the in the presidential election. Neither is Washington D.C. Both of them need to be made states. Um. Because mm-hmm. they they deserve it. I mean, you know, they're they're paying taxes, but they're not being represented. Right. There's an honorary representative for Puerto Rico in Congress, but they don't have any powers, any congressional powers. No voting rights. Right. No yeah, voting as rights. I, as, I, as I understand it. Could have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what I was No, I, I read I read the same thing, too, yeah. That they don't have so, that representation. It's just in name right. only and no voting well, and, power. Yeah. And why did we become the United States? Taxation without representation. It's unconstitutional right. for them to have to pay taxes but not have any say in the government. Mm-hmm. So, so is there a movement yeah. to make it a sovereign, make it a state? I mean, is that something yeah. that... Yeah, and mm-hmm. they and they actually right now because they just had a big vote about making DC a state. Um, uh huh. Because right now it's a um, let's see, Washington District of Columbia. District, so, yeah, it's just a, yeah, yeah. And and Puerto Rico is a Commonwealth, which they don't have wealth, right. so that's <laughs> that's not great. But um, uh, there's a, a lot of people broke. that take <laughs> a lot of people that make money in Puerto Rico and take it out of Puerto Rico. And so it doesn't right. recirculate in in the uh, economy. So yeah, Puerto mm-hmm. Rico is it's the, it's a great place and it's got great people and it's got really bad problems. Right. It's, it's like that that old yeah, cartoon would... that had the two deer talking and one of them had a target on his chest. <laughs> the other deer uh-huh. says bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a Gan Wilson one, and uh, and that's yeah. Puerto Rico. Bummer of a birthmark, Puerto Rico. Yeah, they have a nice national anthem. I listened to that. That was kind of cool. It's called <laughs> the Borokenia. The Borokenia uh-huh. is what it's called. Pretty interesting. Yep. Nice music. Yeah. One of I was the things interested that when I was looking at the demographics of that place too that I didn't realize that the population, there's very little Hispanic population there, that the majority yeah. of the of the population is is white, and uh, there's very little Hispanic 
So I was surprised by that. I thought it was more of a Hispanic place. Mm-hmm. Well, they do speak Spanish there, and and right. they, a lot of those people are of Spanish descent. A lot of a lot of Hispanic surnames. I wasn't aware of the demographics. That's interesting. Like seventy-four percent is is white, and then it goes down to like um, Indian and Native American, or like you know uh, South American, and then. Um, so yeah, I was really surprised that there was not a great Hispanic population there. Mm-hmm. In my ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine too. See, and that's the thing. People, a lot of people don't even realize that um, Puerto Ricans are born Americans. You know, they. Mm-hmm. I know that when they talked about making Sonia Sotomayor part of the um, Supreme Court that they were reporting that her parents were immigrants from Puerto Rico. No, they weren't. They were Americans who moved from Puerto Rico to a different state. <laughs> so, but right. but it's just it's just a common misconception people a lot of people don't realize that it's not it's not a foreign country. It's it's yeah. us. Mm-hmm. They're just denied yep. the rights that the rest of us have. Right. Well, I thought that was interesting. I was very surprised yeah. by that. Yeah, one of the things that happened when I was there that I found really interesting was they settled a court case and the, with the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church was not was not paying their retirement to their teachers uh because they said they didn't have enough money and the judge ordered them to liquidate all their assets. Well, you know what kind of assets the Catholic Church has. They have they have gold. They have paintings right. they have they have buildings they have i mean they have a tremendous amount of property right. and liquidating that property is what is what would more than pay for those pensions um but they had to go right. through the courts to get it but and they've had a problem right. with Puerto Rican pensions being paid before because of the economic issues that they've had so regarding like disaster preparedness for earthquakes you mm-hmm. know do we have a kind of a sense of what um, guidelines and things should be instituted in order to avoid damage from earthquakes? As far as your housing goes, if you can, if you're building, you need to um, look at the earthquake codes and do like reinforcement. A lot of the big buildings in in California are have a movable base. They're on a foundation that actually can take flexion. Going up and down, mm-hmm. and uh, right. The and then as far as personal planning, um, if you're in an earth, find out. You need to find anywhere you are. You need to do a hazard assessment. Find out what your main hazards are. If you're in an earthquake zone, then you need to make sure that when you have large pieces of furniture that they're attached to the wall, because like bookcases mm-hmm. and TVs and stuff like that, when they fall down, they hurt people. You also need to figure mm-hmm. out the safe spaces, which are reinforced spaces. A lot of people will stand in doorways, and and that's that's safer than standing in the middle of a room. Of course, when there's an mm-hmm. earthquake hits, you you may be in bed and can't stand up at all. So the next the next best thing is to find a piece of furniture that's big, like a kitchen table or something, and get under it. But because it'll move, you not only have to get under it, you have to hold on to it. 
So, because you don't want to have be under the table and for the table to slide away and then the ceiling to fall on you. After that, getting out of the building is important because aftershocks uh, can cause more destruction and you could get trapped. Anytime you have a disaster, you, you already need to have a plan in place for it. And that's why you look for your hazards. So if you're in an earthquake zone, you figure out, okay, I'm going to pack this go kit so that if something happens, I'll have my medicine and food and things like that. Um, change of clothes, maybe. And then you also need uh-huh. to have communication plans so that if there's an earthquake, there's somebody that you can contact who is not in the earthquake zone. And you call them, and they do that on Facebook now. They have when they have a when they have a disaster, they set up a "I'm safe" page. Check and in. So right. you go on. Mm-hmm. You go on Facebook and check in and say I'm okay. Um, but you also, if you have a relative or friend that lives outside of the area, preferably a long ways away, you call them and let them know you're okay. And then anybody else who is in your family, for example, if it happens while you're at work and the kids are at school. They they have that phone number and they can call and let them know they're okay because when there's a disaster where the infrastructure goes down like an earthquake, a lot of times there won't be a communication within the disaster zone. It'll be difficult to make phone calls, but it'll be easier to call out of the disaster zone. So having a designated person is um, is the best way to assure that we know that everybody's okay. And you do that so that if somebody doesn't check in, you have to go look for them. And that certainly does reduce the stress of dealing with a disaster. I have a friend who lived in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, and for four mm-hmm. days they didn't know where their son was. He had holed up in the house, but they had no way of communicating back and forth, and it was a very scary time for them for those four days oh, yeah. when they had no idea whether he was alive or dead or injured or you know, mm-hmm. as it turned out, he was okay. He was in the house. He was protecting the house from looters, which unfortunately is a big <laughs> part of disaster aftermath. But, um, yeah, so it's it's really important to have those those things in place. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad that, that, you know, maybe we can put on our page about a disaster plan or, you know, an escape plan, a contact plan, mm-hmm. you know, so that people can have that information because it is good to, to have a base or some some way that you can contact people. So I know during the fires out there in California too. Right. You you not only need to have a plan, you also need to exercise that plan. So for example, if you have a fire plan to where if the fire alarm goes off, everybody goes out their closest exit and then they meet at a place to make sure everybody else got out. Uh, you need to practice mm-hmm. that. So, you know, like when you test the alarm to see if it needs batteries, mm-hmm. everybody sp- should be going outside, uh, not coming in and looking to see what's wrong. <laughs> it's just what, it's just what <laughs> happens around here right. sometimes. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so they having a, having a, the best thing to do is just remember what happens in an earthquake. Things move, they get off balance, and they fall. Things get stretched too far and they break and they fall. And so when you're, if you think about that while you're making your plan, it'll help you make a better plan. But yes, we can definitely put the, uh, the disaster planning for earthquakes on, on there and we can, we can add links to um, just disaster planning in general. Right. 
I know ready.gov is a good resource um, yes. to prepare for disaster to have. So that's ready.gov. Mm-hmm. The Red Cross has a lot of resources too. Unfortunately, Puerto Rico has really experienced a lot of disaster lately. And sometimes there's more disaster than there is relief available. And I know this country yes. itself has experienced a lot recently. So financially, how how solvent or how ready is an organization like FEMA or the U.S. government to be able to deal with disaster? Well, FEMA is generally funded. Uh, it has a budget. But if we have a, a, like this year, we're supposed to have like eight to ten named storms. If they have a big one like Katrina or like, you know, when Irma hit Florida, then Sandy Congress can, or, yeah. right, and, and Congress can allot more funds for those specific disasters once they're declared. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, okay. the current president is trying to remove funds from FEMA in order to respond to the COVID disaster. And funding for the COVID disaster has become politicized, so it's not coming like it does for other disasters. So we've got major problems here as well, as far as that kind of stuff right. goes. But but normally, yeah, we we budget for big disasters, and then uh, if something comes along that overwhelms us, FEMA. I'm sorry, FEMA. I work for FEMA, in case anybody didn't know. Um, and if it overwhelms the agency, then Congress will allot more funds for them. So what? Do you have any idea the? Uh the amount of disaster relief that's gone out in the last year? Or is that for, kind of... In general or just... To, for, for the... Maybe in general, you know, for the like the fires in California and the hurricane on the East Coast and, you know, the different disasters that have occurred um, around the country this year. Because we've had tornadoes. There's been a really high frequency of tornadoes and... and, and storms in the southwest and southeast Mm -hmm. plus the the hurricanes plus they just the fire they just had a big one go through you know so we have connecticut has declared isaias nevada's Mm -hmm. had a fire north carolina isaias california had a app the apple fire montana has a falling star fire florida declared for isaias Puerto Rico, Tropical Cyclone 9, damage. Virgin Islands, Tropical Cyclone 9. Washington State had the Anglin Fire. Texas Hurricane Hannah. There's there's eight more pages of disasters. So if, you, if you're interested in finding out about disasters, you can go to FEMA, the FEMA website, fema.gov, and go to it, it's slash disasters. And then you'll find a place where you can research declared disasters. And it'll list all of the disasters all the way back into, I believe, the 1970s. Oh, really? Okay. All the way back to 1950. It's just interesting to, you know, the diversity of disasters and the different areas that they strike, the flooding up in the the upper Midwest and things like that over the years and I'm sure you've experienced a lot of that as a relief worker going to <laughs> yeah. different places. Pretty much everything. I haven't responded to an earthquake. Fires, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes. 
Um, mm-hmm. Have a, actually a hazmat disaster that was related to a hurricane um, in Oklahoma okay. where the hurricane hit a pile of lead tailings and t- contaminated the entire town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go to that, if you find the disaster, the list of disasters, you can click on the disaster and open up a disaster-specific page. So this is Missouri Severe Storms, Tornadoes, Straight Line Winds, and it shows what counties were affected and declared, and it shows what mm-hmm. the financial assistance is, um, the federal aid programs that the state used, copy of the disaster declaration, and then resources. So, mm. yeah, okay. sorry, if, you, if you're interested in disasters, that's, that's the place to go. So you go to FEMA.gov right. and then slash disaster, and you can start searching disasters if you're interested. Okay. Well, we're grateful that we have an organization like FEMA and that, the, you know, they're prepared and they're ready to go out and to lend relief to people who have been devastated by natural disasters and man-made disasters. Oh, yeah. So yeah, because, you know, if, appreciate it. if we didn't, if we didn't have, because before FEMA, there was civil defense. And then before that, there really mm-hmm. wasn't anything but um, not-for-profit groups, non-governmental agencies. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty lucky. And the organization functions pretty well at the, at, the, at the place where the rubber meets the road. When you, when you get up right. really high in the, in the FEMA system, you start to have political issues. But... Down where I work, where I'm working directly with people who are who are d- devastated by a disaster, and mm-hmm. that all works real well. We just we have guidelines. They have to provide documentation, and then we give them money. <laughs> okay. So it's important when you have a disaster to have the kind of documentation with you if you have to leave your home that will help you to be able to get the relief that you need in the face of it. That's disaster. right. And, and <laughs> I suggest that you just take pictures on your smartphone and upload them to the cloud of things like the deed to the house, your rental agreement, birth certificates of everyone in the family, which you may or may not need. Um, it's also important to, in order to prove occupancy, you have to show that you're paying utility bills. So if you can get some copies of utility bills that are uploaded, if your car is damaged, we need to have a copy of the registration, title. the the title, and the um, the insurance. The insurance needs to have been in effect when the car was damaged. So there's those. And then anything mm-hmm. else you might think you'd need, you know, like your bank account numbers and things like that. Um, if you, if you, passports, uh, right. Yeah. And I would, you'd have to have those physically, but having a picture of them will help you replace them. And in some places Mm -hmm. that we've been, they've also had the department of motor vehicles there and the counties who will provide them with interim driver's licenses and interim birth certificates and things like that. Not all states do that, but, but I know California for sure does. And some other ones do too. Well, that's good information to know because you never know when you might be faced with a disaster and to be prepared is half the battle. It reduces the amount of stress you go through. I mean, 
but it also makes it a lot easier for you to get the kind of help that you need. Right. And make sure not only that you prepare, but your family prepares. Your kids need to know what to do in different disasters. You know, if there's a tornado, what do you do? Do you go to the bathroom? Do you go downstairs? Do you have a basement? You know, do you have a shelter? Mm-hmm. If you have a hurricane, what do you what do you do about the flooding? What do you do about where you where are you going to go to get out of the path? And mm-hmm. you know, things like if there's a fire in the if there's a wildfire, what do you do? Where are you going to go? You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And and it's very important that not just you know, but your spouse knows and your parents or grandparents know or they or and your children know that you're all and on they the all same need page to, yeah right and then they also all need to prepare a go kit so that um mm-hmm. for one thing they'll have what they need if they have to leave quickly and the other thing is that um they'll have a sense of control because they have something to take care of and something that takes care of them um when you have right. a go kit because you'll have You'll have all your basic necessities, you know, you'll have a flashlight, you'll have batteries, if you can get a radio in there, you know, medications, mm-hmm. food, water, um, anything that you would think you would need if you had to leave your home for five or six days and didn't know where you were going to go. Right. Now, I have to share a funny story with you about something that happened years ago. I have one of my children was a sleepwalker, and so... um they would just randomly get up in the middle of the night and walk. Well, we were down near New York City, and we were staying in a hotel. And before we went to bed, I put the night lock on the door. And I told this child, I said, look, I said, this is how the night lock works. And I showed the child how it worked. And then we went to bed. And at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I turned over and opened my eyes, and the light was coming from the wrong direction from where it was when we had gone to bed. And I jumped out of bed. The door to the hotel room was open, and the child was down the hallway walking in their sleep. (laughs) So sometimes disaster preparedness is a good thing, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. (laughs) Just be aware. (laughs) Well, and yeah, yeah, and you know, and a kid needs to. (laughs) Yeah, well, a kid needs to know what what to do in case there's a fire, and knowing how to do the night lock is one of those. Obviously. She went ahead and transferred that into her subconscious so that she could open it and walk around. Right. <laughs> so, but, so yeah, and in New York City, you definitely want to catch them before they hit the street. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Uh, so after that, we just kind of... Uh, they outgrew it finally, but it was just like that few years, it was pretty scary because we'd go places. And it usually happened when they were very tired and, you know, mm-hmm. in a strange place and they get up and walk in the night. It was like, oh, so. <laughs> oh, the joys of parenting. <laughs> yes. All righty. Well, th- thanks for, do it, for doing this podcast today. Um, I'm sure that our yeah. folks are going to enjoy the information and, and n- nice to hear your voice again because it's been a while. So um, I want to just say thanks to everybody that listens to our podcast. If you want to contact us, you can contact us at kate at disastertales.com or barb at disastertales.com. We'd be happy to hear from you. We are a listener-supported podcast. 
That's right. So we have a Patreon page, <laughs> Disaster Tales. Also, if you go on Facebook, we have a Disaster Tales page, and then we have a Disaster Tales fans, a Disaster Tales podcast fans group. So if you'd like to join our group, we'd love to hear from you. We'll try and keep you apprised of what's going on. And um, anything else that you can think of? No, I don't think so. I do have, you know, my heart of compassion goes out to those poor people in Puerto Rico and other people who've experienced disasters. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we do this, so that we can help people avoid and avert the consequences of disasters. So thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Uh, And thanks to Mindy and to Susan. We appreciate your donations and and to Barbara because she also donates. So that's a good thing. And we'd love to have more of you donate. That'd be great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not that we get a salary or anything, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't make that much money. But we try to make enough to be able to pay for the... You know, pay for putting the podcast online so that people can get to it. So, yeah, it's it's good. Because unlike the government, we do not have deep pockets. (laughs) That's right. And we are not into deficit spending. Definitely not. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. Ag- All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to feel like Puerto Rico here. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, oh, so thanks no. again, and uh, we'll talk to you not, uh, fairly soon. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Disaster Tales. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our website is www.disastertales.com. Music by Stephanie Cerny. Feel free to give us a rating. We'd be happy to know what you think. If you have a disaster tale you'd like to share, you can send it to us at kate at disastertales.com. Today's disaster tip is more about Puerto Rico than general disaster information. They have their fair share of disasters. They have other issues as well. Many Americans in Puerto Rico would like to see their island become a state, but they can't do that by themselves. Only Congress can do that. So if you're interested in helping Puerto Rico to become a state, contact your congressman no matter where you live in the United States and let them know that it's something that you are interested in seeing happen. It would help them. It would help us and it might give us an extra star on our flag.